Welcome to the Real Happy Mom podcast. I'm your host, Tony Ann, the blogger and content creator at Real Happy Mom, where moms can find encouragement and practical tips for this journey called motherhood. I also have this podcast to introduce you to other moms from various walks of life. And today I'll be talking to Q. She'll be sharing her story about loss during pregnancy. But before we jump into that episode, I wanna make sure that you know about my mommy affirmations. These are some powerful and positive affirmations that you can read throughout the day. Now, if you need a little pick-me-up or you're struggling to keep a positive mindset, make sure you head over to realhappymom.com affirmations to get yours today. There you'll find a download printable where you can put these affirmations either in your planner, on your desk, or on your wall so that you can maintain a positive mindset. Now let's jump into episode number 35 with Q. So welcome to the podcast, Q. I'm glad I have you on today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yes. Before we jump into our topic that I have been waiting to talk to you about, I wanted to let the listeners know that we're friends through my sister. So I feel like this is going to be more of a girl chat than actual podcast episode, but we're going to have fun and I'm going to learn a lot from you, I'm sure. Absolutely. I'm so excited. And thank you again for just giving me the opportunity to share my story. And I hope that it can help in in some way. Absolutely. So thank you. No problem. So before we jump into everything, I know you very well, but I just wanted you to share with our listeners a little bit about you and what you do. So my name is Quinita Oates, but everyone calls me Q for short. Um, I am 33. I have a two-year-old son. His name is Jackson. And my husband and I have been married for going on five years. Professionally, I just made a huge career switch. Um, I worked in the criminal justice system for about eight and a half years, but recently I've switched over into public health. So now I work within the HIV prevention and treatment field, and I've been doing that for about six months now. I love my work. That's nice. That's about it. Dude, I didn't know about that. Now I feel like I'm late. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like you said public health I was like oh man all right well that's cool that's exciting thank you so Q I wanted to bring you on for you to talk to us a little bit today about your story because you have a very unique story about how you were able to have your beautiful son Jackson and it wasn't very easy there was a lot of struggle to get to the point of you actually having Jackson so I wanted you to start from the beginning like the very very beginning when you and Ronnie decided that you wanted to have kids and about your struggle with multiple miscarriages yes Jackson is our rainbow baby and you're absolutely right it was not easy bringing him into the world Um, we had quite an experience actually it's still ongoing so I'll start from the beginning so in 2013 Ronnie and I discovered that we were pregnant And we were super excited, you know, naturally, and we just, you know, couldn't wait. So early on, there were no signs of any issues I don't have or and at that time didn't have any other medical concerns to warrant, you know, any extra uh, caution that needed to be taken uh, during that first pregnancy. So we went on uh, throughout the first trimester with no issues. Once we reach 12 weeks, you know that that's kind of the mark where you're considered safe to share the news. So we did, we shared um, that news with our family and friends. 
And when I was 14 weeks pregnant, I I remember that day like it was yesterday. I went to work and uh, had sushi with my mom for lunch. I remember that. Came home and in the middle of the night, I felt like I needed to use the restroom. So I got up and I just felt an immense pressure. It wasn't pain. It was just pressure. And I heard a noise and then I heard a splash and my water had broken. Um, Now, mine's on 14 weeks. So I'm like, am I dreaming? Like my water's not supposed to break this early on. You know what's happening. So we called our doctors after hours number and they instructed us to go immediately to labor and delivery. And when we got there, they had confirmed that my water had broken and it wasn't a leak, but it had broken completely and that my body had gone into labor. They gave me Pitocin to help induce labor and I had to deliver at 14 weeks. After that, they ran all kinds of tests to see, you know, if there were any genetic issues or, you know, what exactly was the cause of this loss. And at that time, they concluded that it was just a spontaneous loss. That didn't really sit well with me, but at the time we were going to one of the top doctors in our city. So I kind of just took her word for it and that was it. She said, you know, these things happen. You guys can try again, you know, immediately and let's just hope for the best. So as hard as that was to digest, we that's, that's exactly what we did. Later on in 2015, we found out that we were pregnant again. By this time, we had relocated to Tampa, Florida for my husband's work, and we had just gotten reestablished there. We found one of, you know, what we thought was the top high-risk pregnancy doctors in Tampa. We started seeing her immediately, and she determined that everything was fine in that pregnancy. Now, we did make her aware of our concerns that, you know, we had just had a previous loss at 14 weeks. They said it was spontaneous, but, you know, my husband and I knew that these things don't just happen. And we asked her, we asked the doctor if there were any extra precautions that we could possibly take. And we were told no. So fast forward, we got all the way to 18 weeks and we were actually a week away from a week and a half away from finding out the sex, uh, the gender of the baby. And I was at work and I went to use the restroom and I noticed mucus and not like everyday, you know, womanly secretions. I'm talking about like mucus. I was a little concerned, but I figured, eh, I don't know, maybe this is just what happens at this point in pregnancy. So I didn't think much of it. I mentioned it to my husband. He said, okay, let's just keep a watchful eye for it. I really wasn't experiencing any pain or anything like that. So we just kept an eye on it. Later on that evening, the same thing happened, but I noticed there was a lot more of it. So at that point, we called our doctor. She said for me to to immediately lay down, put a pillow under my hips, and to come in first thing in the morning. By the time I got there, they measured my cervix, and they noticed that it had shortened as it would during delivery or when a woman is in labor and preparing to deliver. They told me again that they would have to induce my labor and I would have to deliver at 18 weeks. So similar process. They gave me the Pitocin. I was in labor for quite some time. It was very painful and I had to deliver vaginally. After that, I asked the doctor again, what is the cause of this? She casually mentioned, oh, you could have an incompetent cervix, but, you know, there's no real way of, you know, knowing that. And I said, okay, so what do we do to prevent this from happening again? 
And she recommended that during our next pregnancy, maybe at, I think, 16 weeks, they could place a vaginal cerclage, which is a temporary suture at the opening of the cervix that closes the cervix to kind of ensure that the weight of the baby doesn't cause the cervix to shorten or to open, um, resulting in early delivery. Again, that didn't really sit well with me. So that was kind of the turning point for us. I started doing my own research into what exactly does it mean to have an incompetent cervix? Because I found that when I asked my doctors questions, a lot of times I was told basically like I was doing too much or, you know, kind of questioning their medical expertise. But the way I saw it, I just wanted more information because you can't just tell a mother who just delivered twice in their second trimester that these things just happen, right? So I needed more answers. I did my own research and I found out that a lot more women have an incompetent cervix than not. And it was a way more common than what I had initially thought. And that there are solutions that could aid a woman who has an incompetent cervix to help them to have a successful pregnancy. That's where Dr. Arthur Haney of Chicago, Illinois came into the picture. I found him, I did a lot of research and I found Dr. Haney. Dr. Haney specializes in placing transabdominal cerclages for women who have incompetent cervixes and who have suffered multiple second trimester losses. And again, I feel like had I not done my own research, we may not have our son now because I feel like a lot of times, especially women of color, we're not believed or we're not when we have questions or concerns when it deals with our health or with our health issues. Um, So I feel like a lot of my requests for more information, a lot of my questions, a lot of the concerns that I had and that I shared with my doctors were not taken seriously. So I kind of had to take my future into my own hands. So (laughs) I found Dr. Haney, did more research on the actual procedure in placing the transabdominal cerclage and the success rate of successful deliveries thereafter. And so to explain further what a transabdominal cerclage is, it's similar to the vaginal cerclage. The only difference is it's permanent. So with a vaginal cerclage, that suture is placed right around 16 weeks and it's taken out right before delivery. With an abdominal cerclage, it's placed surgically. So they make an incision right above your bikini line, kind of like, you know, similar to a C-section. They go in and place a permanent suture at the top end of the cervix to ensure that the weight of the baby doesn't cause the cervix to shorten and send the woman into preterm labor. Because the transabdominal cerclage is permanent, once you have that cerclage placed, you have to have C-sections thereafter. So that is something that you have to be okay with if you choose that option. So fast forward, in 2016, I contacted Dr. Haney's office. We set up a time for us to have an over-the-phone consultation. He took his time. He was very patient. He was very kind. And he answered every single question that my husband and I had. And after that conversation, Ronnie and I looked at each other and we knew that we had to take a chance. 
with this. And we did. So the summer of 2016, we flew up to Chicago and we had the uh, abdominal cerclage placed. The procedure itself only took maybe 45 minutes from start to finish. The recovery time, similar to, you know, any surgical procedure. So he advised that, you know, I walk around a lot and try to stay active. And I did. And I healed within a matter of weeks. And later on in April 2017, we welcomed Jackson into the world. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) I want to stop you there because this is really, really good here because you touched on a couple of things. So the first time that it happened, you didn't ask too many questions. But the second time, you know, okay, this isn't just an accident. It didn't just happen. Something's happening. And then that's when you took it upon yourself to really start asking the questions and to find out the information more for yourself. Absolutely. That's absolutely what happened. When you were doing your research, was it mainly just things online that you were looking at? Or did you actually see other doctors to get second opinions? How did you go about doing that? So it started, of course, with a Google search. (laughs) Yes, my friend. (laughs) Google is like my BFF. So it started with a Google search. And the more that I read, and I read different types of things. So I didn't just read like online articles. I also read scholarly articles in medical publishings and things of that sort, research papers that have been published specific to women with an incompetent cervix and specific to the transabdominal cerclage and also just in general, second trimester loss, because I wanted to make sure that I had all of the information. I didn't want to keep my research. I didn't want to narrow it because I didn't want to miss anything. So I did that. And I also looked into a lot of online chat groups with different moms. And that's actually how I discovered Dr. Haney. So quite a few moms had mentioned Dr. Haney's name. And then once I started doing research on Dr. Haney, I realized how big he was in this field and how many procedures he had done just in the women who were, you know, speaking on their experiences in these online groups. He has patients from all over the world. One that stood out for me was uh, there was a woman who traveled all the way from India to see Dr. Haney, yes, to have this abdominal cerclage placed. And that kind of did it for me. So it was a number of articles and, and findings and research projects and just kind of all of the above that helped to shape our decision. But I also did see other doctors here in the area and asked them about second trimester loss. I asked them about incompetent cervix and what are some things that can be done to prevent future loss. And I also asked about the transabdominal cerclage. What I did find is for that specific procedure, not a lot of doctors, even specialists in the area, knew about it or knew enough about it to perform the procedure. So even though the diagnosis of having an incompetent cervix is very common, the number of medical professionals who have an expertise in treating an incompetent cervix is very far and few between. That's why we were so adamant about seeing Dr. Haney. If I'm not mistaken, you know, I did a whole thorough research <laughs> project on Dr. Haney because yes. I really wanted to be sure. But um, what I found was he had been practicing medicine for 30 plus years, and he just found that way too many were lost 
as a result of having an incompetent cervix. So he made it his mission to only perform this procedure. So his whole medical practice now is very specific to placing transabdominal cerclages. So yeah, that's he, that means he's, he really knows what he's doing. So that is really awesome. Now, Q, I wanted to back up just a little bit before we move forward and talk about more of the emotional side of things. So I had shared with you previously that I had had a miscarriage before, but it was during that first trimester, during the time that they say that this is when it typically happens. So it was before that Mm -hmm. 12-week mark. And honestly, like, I'm so bad. I've like pushed it out of my brain because I I, I made myself not think about it. So now it's kind of hard for me to really think about the details. I just remember it. For me, it was painful. Very, very painful. That's what I remember the most. But also like emotionally, like I felt like, oh my God, I just lost someone. And Mm -hmm. so I know when you get further along in the process, I feel like it's harder because, you know, you feel the baby moving, you hear the heartbeat and all of that. So I just wanted you to talk a little bit more about the emotional side of things and how you're able to deal with it. Well, you're absolutely right. And something that I have come to learn is that no matter what stage in the pregnancy that you suffer the loss, I believe that it's still hard. You know, it was difficult, especially with both of the second trimester losses, because I was visibly pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, My appearance had changed. You know, we started picking out names and, you know, our families were so excited and, you know, we were excited and, and, you know, we went through the whole ordeal as anyone should be, you know, when they receive such good news. So to have that taken away, it can be paralyzing. It, it honestly can be because it's not just the physical pain, which like you said, is very painful. It's very, very, very painful physically. Mm -hmm. but emotionally as well. And it's not something that you ever get over completely. It's not something that you ever forget. And a lot of times I feel like just for the sake of survival, you have to find a way for you to cope. So for some people, it's therapeutic to talk about often and openly. For others, it's too painful to think about. So for their best practices, they have to push it out of their minds, you know, to be able to go on in, with their day-to-day, which can be hard enough. So I think it is, or what I try to remind myself, that it is okay to feel what you're feeling. You're going to have some days where, you know, you're just lost and you're confused because you're trying to figure out why. And you can just why, 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 why yourself all day. And it can just, you know, it can drive you crazy. You may have some days where you feel an immense amount of sorrow and sadness, and it's okay to feel that. You may have some days where you feel angry, and that's okay too. It's okay to allow yourself to feel what you need to feel in order to heal. A lot of times I found that I would rush through my grieving process because I feel like, number one, I need to be strong for myself. And I can't allow myself to unravel completely because I have a husband, you know, that I also need to show support for because men grieve for the loss of pregnancies sometimes as much as, you know, the woman does. So 
Mm-hmm. I wanted to be that support system for him. And I also needed to be strong for myself. And I did not want to allow myself to just unravel completely. And also, I think one of the uglier sides of being a professional woman is at the end of the day, we're still expected to show up and show out, you know, at work. So especially when you're in a leadership position, you're allowed, you know, like a few days to deal with what you're dealing with. But, you know, come Monday, that following week or two weeks later, like you need to you know, be on and be able to perform. So, you know, that's also a struggle. So honestly, I can say it's not something that I have completely um, gotten over. I still deal with it every day. And I'm actually I'm to the point now where I can speak more openly about it, mostly because I know that I'm not the only person dealing with loss. I'm not the only person dealing with multiple losses. And I'm not the only one who has felt the way that I have felt. I find comfort in that. And I'm hoping that maybe my story and my words will provide comfort for someone else. Absolutely. Now, Q, you touched on it a little bit. I had another guest on episode number 28. It was Megan. She actually talked about her losing her daughter who was 15 months old. Yes. And I feel like there is some similarities in what both of you are saying, but She talked a lot about dealing with grief and saying that, you know, a lot of times you'll experience these emotions and these feelings and you'll feel like, oh my God, I'm crazy for thinking these kind of things. But in Mm -hmm. actuality, it's actually normal. It's okay to feel those things. So I'm so glad you touched on that. But I wanted you to just touch a little bit on if there was anything in particular that helped you get to this point where you're feeling not necessarily comfortable, but you're able to actually speak about it without feeling that immense mm-hmm. emotional feeling of like loss and grief and things like that? I would say there are three things. The first thing is that it helps to know that there's a reason behind most, not all, because some, some losses do just, they happen because of chromosomal, you know, abnormalities or because of, you know, some mm-hmm. things they just, it just happens, right? But for my cases in particular, there were answers. And so it helps to know that there was a reason why. Like there were there are answers. If we can pinpoint the cause, then now we can try to find a solution. That honestly has helped. Second, my husband has encouraged me honestly, since our first loss, he has always encouraged me to share our story when I was ready, of course. But he has always said, you know, babe, I really think that your story could help other women. At the time when you're going through it, you're like, how can I be of assistance (laughs) or how can I support or help anyone when I'm laying over in a corner, broken into a million pieces. So at the time I couldn't see what he saw, but he has always encouraged me to share our story. So that's helped me to get to this point. And third, I try to, and whatever I do, I try to remind myself that while I'm here on this earth, I would like to leave a mark, which we all do but I want my mark to mean something. 
So maybe, maybe this is my mark. I'm not sure yet. So that's kind of helped get me to the place where I'm not feeling that immense sadness every day. I do still feel the sadness. I'm coping better with it. I should say that I'm doing a lot better with coping with it, talk through it, and now get to the point where I can share my story with others. So cute. We're going to end this part one here. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this with us. We are going to come back in the second part and we're going to talk about a little bit more, but I definitely wanted to tell you, thank you, Q. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Now that does it for this episode of the Real Happy Mom podcast. I just wanted to highlight a few things, and that is one, Q asked a lot of questions. She wasn't afraid to ask the questions to get the answers that she needed to have her baby boy today. And two, she took matters into her own hands and did her own research. So if you're having problems and you're not able to get the answers that you need, it's probably time that you talk to my best friend, Google, and start seeking out the information for yourself. Now, if you want to find a complete list of everything that was mentioned in this episode, as well as a complete blog post, make sure you head over to realhappymom.com slash 35. There you'll find all the information that was mentioned in this blog post. And make sure you tune in to next week, where we'll be doing part two with Q, and she'll be sharing some more information on her story, as well as how you can support a mom that has had a loss during pregnancy. I appreciate you so much for listening, and I would really love it if you would do me a favor and hit subscribe. That does two things. One, it lets iTunes know that this is a good podcast to recommend to other moms. And two, it'll let you know about next week's episode. Now, I can't wait to share this with you. I hope that you have a great rest of your day, and I will catch you in the next one.